0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My first guest this week is Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd is for a lot of people an icon. He's performed in some of the most memorable movies of the 20th century one flew over the cuckoo's nest who framed roger rabbit and of course back to the future
0: i remember it vividly i was standing on the edge of my toilet hanging a clock the porcelain was wet i slipped hit my head on the edge of the sink and when i came to i had a revelation a vision a picture in my head a picture of this this is what makes time travel possible the flux capacitor
1: Christopher Lloyd's been in the game a long time. Around the age of 19, he took acting classes at the Neighborhood Playhouse School of the Theater in New York with the legendary acting teacher Sanford Meisner, the guy who invented the Meisner technique. Lloyd acted mainly on stage before he got his first big role in Cuckoo's Nest. He's still extremely committed to the stage. He performs there when he can. He has plans to play King Lear later this year. And at the age of 82, he has no intention of retiring. In his latest film role, he stars alongside William Shatner in Senior Moment. It's a romantic comedy set around a group of seniors who live in the California desert. Shatner plays a retired fighter pilot named Victor. Victor is trying to win the affections of fellow retiree Caroline, played by Gene Smart. To add to his problems, Victor can't seem to stop getting in trouble for his driving. In this scene, Victor is in traffic court. He's just called his best friend to the stand, Sal, played by our guest Christopher Lloyd. Sal is, I guess, some kind of character witness.
0: Good afternoon, Mr. Spinelli. Good afternoon, Mr. Mark. <laughs> uh, Mr. Spinelli, would you please inform the court uh, how long you've known the defendant? Well. We met at High. High, freshman year of phys ed. What, what, what uh, kind of a man is he? The bravest man I know. Fought in there, tested jets for NASA. A true American hero. And the best damn friend I could have ever have hoped for. How many times would you say you've driven with the defendant? <laughs> too many to count. Would you describe him as reckless? Uh, confident, maybe. Never reckless.
1: Christopher Lloyd, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show.
0: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted.
1: How did you get the idea that you wanted to be an actor?
0: It's funny because I kind of, I don't know why, but I anticipated if You might ask me that, so I was thinking it over. <laughs> I just do remember back 7th, 8th, ninth grade, something that um, if I felt threatened by the bigger boys or whomever, whatever, I would uh, do something that was kind of, I don't know, unexpected. And it it made them laugh or they were amused. And then somebody asked me to be in a school play. It was seventh or eighth grade or something. And I did that a few times subsequently. It just kind of coalesced after a while decided I'd try acting.
1: You studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse with Sanford Meisner, who's, you know, one of the one of the greatest acting teachers of the 20th century. Yeah, And he was, you know, his method, his his famous method, known as the Meisner technique, uh-huh. listening is yeah. so essential to it. Like, it's really like a system of teaching you how to be Very profoundly present, right? How did you end up there, and how did it change you as a as a performer?
0: Well, I did you know some summer stop before I went to the Playhouse uh, for a while, and you hear other actors talking about you know this place, that place, and Meisler. um, For what I felt the way they talked about the name of the Playhouse is that it was where I wanted to go. And just sort of, so I, I had an interview with Meisner and then I was accepted. And then he wasn't there for the first year, which was a big surprise. And he wasn't there for both years. I was at, I was at the Playhouse for two years. And when I got out of it, I felt I really, and all, all the... Uh, faculty were protégés and but it wasn't getting through Um, I came out of it I felt that I still a little bit where I was when it started so Meiser came back and got and started teaching again at the playhouse and he had two classes each week outside of the playhouse and I went back to him and I started in with those classes. And he was f- fabulous. I mean, just extraordinary. And uh, I came out of it getting what I wanted. So it worked out.
1: Did you think you were going to be a theater actor forever?
0: Uh, I, I began to wonder about it. Um, I wanted to do a film. I came to New York because I lived in C- Connecticut. And I was familiar with the city, having gone in and out of it. Uh, I, I, I wanted to do film, but I, I just felt get a base in the theater. And I you know I really love theater. I love going back and doing the play. I feel I'm going home. You know, it just feels right. Any a event uh, I started going up for f- film uh, meetings and interviews. And I could tell there's nothing happening here. Um, And I just thought, maybe I'm one of those actors who do not make the bridge from theater to to screen, you know. And then Cuckoo's came to New York to do some casting. And a casting director who was good to me, set me up all the time set me up and uh, that was that
1: I think that when you're working in theater often it is expected that you know you'll be able to transform yourself because you're working in rep or you're working with a company and you're playing all kinds of different roles it's really valuable to be able to do anything right, right, right. and often when you're working on screen the direction of your career is determined by you know what you seem like when you walk into a room—people uh-huh. like taking one glance at you right. and deciding what kind of thing you are, what kind of thing you do—and right. I wonder whether when you started going up for film roles, when you—I mean, you were a full-on grown-up before you started doing screen work. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Whether you had to like reckon with what people thought of you when you walked into a room.
0: Over over time, yeah. Over time, I started um, making a real effort to be as much the character that I'm going in t- to read for or meet for as I can, without it b- being annoying, you know, or something stupid, you know. Right. Just trying to really find the essence of it and bring it in, and hope that I can convey that whether I do my hair in a certain way what I dress, an accent, whatever, but if I could make it, um, you know, real. So I would do that more and more, and it started paying off. Um, it took a while, but it started, I could notice, I, I got more adept at it, and it helped. And also, Cuckoo's Ass for this you know incredible film to start out with um, i did, you know i was i was buzzed <laughs> it, it, it was a great experience so that that really helped things along
1: for the third time, you do not have a hotel on board. Hotel. It costs
0: $1,000 and four hotel. greenhouses to put a hotel, hotel. on boardwalk, play and you game. do not you knock have a hotel. Huh? Play the game, Hardy.
1: The audition process for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was sort of famously unusual and involved. What did you have to do to get your part in the film?
0: Um... Minos foreman, the director, of course, he would set up chairs in a semicircle in front of him on the floor, and it um, they would be filled by actors, all you know, uh, auditioning, in effect, and he would talk to us. Um, he'd be city where Nurse Ratchet would be sitting and he'd ask us a question and he'd, he'd had a good sense of how to get things going and um, that was the audition you know you just kind of lived out the way it went people were talking about things you could interject at any time you know it, it, it was kind of cool but you know I think that I came up and did that a couple of times and then done that was that
1: let's hear a scene from uh taxi uh which you know was a a very long running sitcom about a a group of new york city cab drivers uh one Mm -hmm. of them was played by my guest christopher lloyd uh reverend jim who is uh kind of uh spaced out uh sweet kook um. So in this scene, the dispatcher, uh, Tiny, who's played by Danny DeVito, is um is there, and, and uh, Jim is is at the garage, and he's just sitting down to a snack.
0: Well, boss, I'm back from my vacation. You didn't happen to run into your brains while you were out there, did you? <laughs> no, but I wasn't really looking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll have a cab for you in a minute, Gulliver. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's all these cookies? They were baked by a guy I fired. He <laughs> Ooh. They got a nice little surprise inside. What are you talking about? Well, I could be wrong but I detect something in here that's a lot more powerful than oatmeal.
1: <laughs> 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 so when you got cast in Taxi, did you think of yourself as a comedy actor?
0: I I, I knew, you know, it was written for, for laughs, for comedy and all that, but I felt that, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I've just... I've never, I don't know if I've ever really thought of myself in a particular way that comedy actor or drama dramatic act or whatever um, when casting is going on when I'm you know i i'm I don't go up one way or the other I just go up there and try to respond to the material and see what happens I enjoy laughs, <laughs>, <laughs> i I was in a I, I was a uh, Neil Simon play bare, barefoot in the park and I did that in Summerstock Cape May, New Jersey somewhere in the 60s and, uh, I, and I was playing the Robert Redford part Bob or whoever it was and I you know, I hadn't seen Neil Simon yet and I had you know so we were you know a couple of days of rehearsal in the Director beckoned me over to the edge of the stage, and he kind of confidentially told me, "Chris, this is a comedy," <laughs> <laughs> and I learned something. <laughs> I learned something that you know when I made the made the adjustment, every line. You know, you just had to open your mouth and say them, and you got to laugh. It was just written so well. It was extraordinary.
1: One of the things that I've heard from people who did audience sitcoms, multi-camera sitcoms, over long periods of time... Yeah. ...is that you learn a very particular kind of basically stage performance. Because... Not only are you, you know, acting in front of an audience, not only are you doing jokes in front of an audience, but often mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're there doing the the same joke a few times because there's, you know, multiple takes of, of things and, and you have to do, you're doing the same joke or a similar joke in front of the audience. You have to find a, a, a new wrinkle in it. You have to find something right. that's a little bit different. What was it like to do that over years, you know, every week? Uh, go up in front of, a, in front of an audience and, and do those jokes. I
0: don't know. Some, sometimes I've watched a, a sitcom and i f- I got a feeling that it looks like sitcom acting or a sitcom, you know what I mean, I think. Right. And it's kind of stale and mechanical a bit, whatever, and... The laughs were kind of, you know, contrived and all that. So I never wanted to end up that way, you know, doing something, repeating, you know, like you know, doing it every every week, and it's no better than that, you know. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wanted it, to, it had to have something excitement to it, so. Um, and I lucked out, you know, I, I, I lucked out getting into um, overcoming my prejudices and <laughs> go up and it worked out great.
1: Reverend Jim is such an iconic TV character and, you know, was repeated on television ad infinitum, you know, mm-hmm. like as, as with me, you know, by the time I was watching Taxi, it was in reruns, but I've, I've seen a lot of Taxi. right what was it like to go from working actor of basically about 20 years to you know people's television friend which is i think what a sort of like what a long-running sitcoms character is uh-huh you know it's a very different way of of having people see you
0: right i guess there's a certain inclination to want everybody to get what you have to say or you know what I mean
1: mm-hmm.
0: so and you want to give your best for them whatever medium you're working in and uh, yeah I've, acting is like really a, communicating a lot you know I get a, a character and I, no matter whether it's a nice guy or not so nice guy and find what may, you know. what is it that's human about this guy and I can identify with, even if I'm not him, and convey that to an audience. They might not even like the character, but they will feel for it and you know, understand it.
1: Even more with Christopher Lloyd still to come. We still haven't talked about Back to the Future. <laughs> We're not going to skip that. Hear about it after the break. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. On NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we talk about TV, movies, and more, like the new Marvel Disney Plus series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and a definitive ranking of The Best Muppets. All of that in around 20 minutes every weekday. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny. With folks like Kelsey Dara, and Open Mike Eagle, and Patton Oswalt. Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. So he was in therapy. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Christopher Lloyd. He is, of course, the star of Back to the Future, Taxi, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and so many other films. He's 82 years old now, still working, still performs on stage regularly, still working in movies and TV. His newest film role is in Senior Moment, a romantic comedy in which Lloyd stars alongside Gene Smart and William Shatner. So, I think that... um as an elder millennial myself, you are most burned into my memory as uh, the guy who's about to put Roger Rabbit into the dip.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, you've had a number of iconic screen roles, Christopher, but, um, uh-huh. uh, you know, outside of maybe playing Large Marge in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I don't think there was any more terrifying character from my childhood you could have Yeah, that.
0: Yeah, and I could, I create, get great pleasure knowing that. can you guess what this is oh my god it's dead that's right my dear enough to dip Toontown off the face of the earth vehicle of my own design 5,000 gallons of heated dip Pumped at enormous velocity through a pressurized water cannon. Toontown will be erased in a matter of minutes. I remember seeing Disney films when they, I mean, when Walt Disney was making them, you know, way back in the 50s, somewhere there, I don't know where. And there was, it seemed like every one of them, there was a moment that was absolutely horrifying you know, yeah. just dream, nightmare material. And people come up to me and um, tell me the same story that happened to them when they saw um, that movie. And it's just payback. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, fun. But I, I love it. I mean, it's just... To be that nasty, put that little shoe, <laughs> a squeaky little shoe, in the dip. Um, but it was a wonderful film.
1: This is what I was thinking about because I watched it recently with my kids. And uh-huh. It, I was really, I was really thrilled with how well it held up. I thought it was just as wonderful as an adult as I had, had thought it was as a kid. Great. But as I was watching it, I was thinking this movie is at like an unequivocal success. Like I said, this is a great film. Uh-huh. Everything works. But then I was just thinking of all of these actors, including you, on a sound stage, you know, probably holding a cube painted green when you're <laughs> dipping the shoe into the dip. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> right. and I thought
1: like all of these people, like how did they convince themselves this was going to work?
0: I know. I... <laughs> Well, they, they took a lot of pains to uh, make it happen. First of all, it was li- it wasn't di- digital. It was you know every plate was painted and drawn and all that. And they had they there was a like a f- three story old like factory building, a few in, in London, and with divided compartments in it, uh, in a big open space. And all these guys and women from everywhere, Thailand and all around Europe and Asia and Australia, you know, in there making each cell. You know what I'm saying? It was like extraordinary. Anyway, they had that. And then they had a guy who who's a comedian. Ah. damn, I can't think of his name at the moment, who played Roger Rabbit off-camera. So whenever you had words to say to Roger Rabbit, you talk to this guy, and he got himself all up in a crazy kind of Roger Rabbit kind of costume, and he had a voice. You know, he had Roger Rabbit's voice, and so you'd stare at him. And that was very helpful, you know, the, the... For that, and then they also had um, uh, Roger Rabbit um, foam cutouts. You know, Roger Rabbit, maybe up to a little up to your thigh size, and it had real weight. And arms, legs, the whole thing, and you'd rehearse with that to get the feeling of the muscles you would need. What what do you need? to support that weight. Um, and then, of course, they take it away after you've rehearsed for a while and they shoot without it. So and they had a pan, pantomist there to assist in the whole pro- process. So they took a lot of, um, took a lot of pains to be sure it could be done, that it would work.
1: Well, Christopher, I have to tell you that if I don't talk to you about Back to the Future, I will get a, a volume of angry letters uh-huh. that will like make my house float away.
0: Uh, um, I, I don't <laughs> like wanna. a
1: midwestern flood.
0: Uh-huh. Well, uh, fire away.
1: <laughs> you know, I was thinking about I, I was thinking about the Back to the Future movies, and I I realized that you know. For you, certainly the first Back to the Future movie—they're—they're all—they're all really fun. The first Back to the Future movie, you know, having established the world, and it is probably the—the the definitive classic.
0: You disintegrated Einstein. Calm down, Marty. I didn't disintegrate anything. The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. <laughs> Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, in the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future, to be exact. And precisely, 121 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time machine.
1: But back to the future three, where where it's in the old west... Uh, and you have a love interest, is kind of the most Christopher Lloydy Back to the Future movie.
0: Uh, well, I, 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 I'm, I can't quite judge that impartially. Uh, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm asking for your partial evaluation.
0: No, I, uh, that's my choice. When people say, which one did you love doing the most? And it's it's number three. Uh, number one is, is exciting because it initiates the whole you know story uh, the DeLorean coming out of the truck and then all that stuff is being established so that gives it a special energy but you know I love I love westerns as a kid watching the western movies and um, all that stuff I spent time in Wyoming and whatever. So uh, I loved um, Back to the Future 3. Yeah, it was great.
1: I have a question about your hair. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> uh, moving along. Yes,
1: yeah, certainly in the Back to the Future movies yeah. and in some of your other iconic roles, your hair has... Uh, a volume and flair that is very distinctive. Um, uh-huh. to what extent was, uh, that your hair in real life, uh, during those years? And to what extent did you have to like, Oh, I got to grow my doc Brown hair back out.
0: Uh, uh-huh. well, the in the, in the trilogy, um, I can't quite remember exactly, but I, it was at times it was my own hair, and then they wanted a wig because it was all going to be white and not blonde or something like that. And I don't know. Lately, I've suddenly got long hair going on with 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 my work. Uh, just the so way it is. I I have I had uh, some when I was doing theater work. I shaved my head. I shaved my head for Adams Family, for Uncle Fester. So
1: that was your real shaved head in Adams Family.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because he's bald. He's bald as he's <laughs> That's ca- at, true. in the cartoon.
1: <laughs> but there. There are bald caps. Yes, that is something that the, a major motion picture could have supplied you with. Yes,
0: uh, but I've I've done that. I've done it in the theater, and I think I did it maybe in some... But that's kind of you know you got to cut your hair shorter anyway because the it's got to fit well, and they and that takes some time uh, for the makeup artist. you know, to put it on, and then he has to uh, um, stick it on, you know, so it stays in place. And then if you have hair of any, you know, length, which I usually do, the hairstylist has to take the hair you have and pin it with 100,000 hair pins before she puts the uh, false Walt's head laid it over you so it's a lot of that and then if you've got an active role you sweat and your scalp starts itching furiously and so when I can avoid that I do I just shave my head
1: I've only shaved my head for real. I have very short hair cuz I'm pretty bald, but uh-huh. I've only shaved my head down to the skin once in my life. It was when I was you know, I I had finished all my classes in college, but I was an RA and I had to stick around for another 10 days or something and I just got really bored. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> But I remember vividly the feeling, what it felt like to really have no hair on my head. Do you remember what it was yes. like when you very fresh when you took the razor to your head?
0: <laughs> yeah, I had an audition, once, a an um, interview for a film, and it was a, during while I was I did a play where I shaved my head, so I had a shaved head and I got a wig, kind of. Disordered brown hair. Uh, and when it, when it was on, it was really, you know, very convincing. It looked good. So I wore the wig to the interview. And <laughs> the, the lady was a bit kind of bossy, you know, middle-aged bossy kind of lady. I'm, I don't you know. And she, she's going on about it. And then she said, of course... The part you'd be playing would be the part of a monk, and you'd have to shave your head. And I just reached up, pulled my wig off.
1: <laughs> it,
0: it was like I didn't get the part, but it was such a del- del- delicious moment. <laughs>
1: that's that's like the time that you didn't get the part, but you still won.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah I felt good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I have to ask you, in Senior Moment, mm-hmm. you know, there's three leads. Gene Smart is the spring chicken. She's in her late 60s. Right. Uh, but, you know, William Shatner is now 90, and <laughs> you are in your 80s. Right. How does it change the process of making a movie, especially one that is not like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's action sequences in this movie? <laughs> when... When your body is different, you know, all all three of you, but certainly you you and Shatner, you know, you're yeah, you're yeah. older than you used to be. How is it a different experience?
0: Uh, I tell you, I, one thing about actually acting old, you know, peop, old people is you don't have to put a lot of uh, makeup on to affect. <laughs> age and I used to do that a lot uh, actually I had a—I was at a thing where I was at a Q&A and a and a child raised a hand and said Mr. Lloyd what's it like not having to wear old age makeup anymore and um,
1: <laughs> I mean there's something to be said for the fact that you are now on like year 40 of playing 60
0: yeah yeah but I, I, I don't know, I didn't, I don't know, it, it just seemed to work with uh, senior moment. Um, I enjoyed working with William Shatner, and uh, we we had a classic kind of fight in Return of Spock, the third movie. <laughs> so we were kind of acquainted We've. Met, and he's, he's a lot of fun. And I thought he's wonderful in it. I, I think he did a, really made a lovely, lovely
1: character. I don't mean this question as an insult, but why do you think you're still working? Why? Yeah.
0: Well, one thing I want to, for sure. Um, why do you want to? It, I love doing it and I'm, I feel like it you know it's, I feel I'm getting better and better with, with the acting, with using myself and connecting and all that. That keeps me going. And I've been, I'm, you know, so far I haven't been disabled by anything, so I'm very fortunate and, and uh, just keep going as long as it takes.
1: You've done almost everything. Is there anything you haven't done that you'd like to do?
0: Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, We'll see. I'm, I'm doing a, mo- <clears throat> a movie now Char- with uh, George Clooney directing and Ben Affleck set her up in Boston I'm just loving doing it. Um, You know, I have a kind of a medium supporting role, and it's based on a novel, The Tender Bar, and it's just, I'm really excited about that. And this summer, if all goes well, I'm gonna do King Lear at the Berkshire Shakespeare Festival, our company. Oh wow! And I'm I'm just I'm I'm into that every day. It just you know it's a kind of role that you could never actually <laughs> complete. There's always something more, I feel, and, I, and I'm so excited about that.
1: <clears throat> Are you scared?
0: Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I. There are moments I say, what the hell am I doing to myself? Uh, And then there's other moments I get so excited about it. But um, I guess some fear comes with the territory.
1: Well, Christopher Lloyd, I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for talking with me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank Thank you.
1: Christopher Lloyd, friends. His newest movie is Senior Moment. It's a romantic comedy where he performs alongside William Shatner and Gene Smart. He's also in the upcoming action film Nobody, where he'll act alongside one of our favorites, the great Bob Odenkirk. Yes, that's right. Action star Van Hammersley. That's it for another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles. Here in my house, I've accepted that I'm an extra large now and am going through my clothes, getting rid of the larges. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien as well. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffett. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and to their label, Memphis Industries, for sharing it. The Go Team have a record just around the corner. There's a single up right now. You should uh, search for The Go Team on YouTube or whatever and uh, give it a listen. You can also keep up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews in those places. And I think that's about it. Just remember. All great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.